We started preaching several weeks ago back to the basics, back to the book, back to the fundamentals of the Word of God. You know, somebody said the secret to church growth is we've got to constantly be reinventing. We've got to, you know, reinvent. But I really believe, folks, we need to rediscover God. When I was in Bible college, my teacher taught me that ACTS stands for a church training series. A church training series. They did pretty pretty well in ACTS. And I think if we return to that, I believe we'll do well too. We'll do well too. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Then return they unto Jerusalem from Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. And there abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon's Lotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued. This is what I want you to see. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. Folks, I want to take a few moments and I want to talk to you about our greatest privilege, our greatest privilege. If I give you the name of Joseph Scriven, most of you would uh, probably not know that name. But Mr. Scriven was actually a unique individual. He lived in Ireland. He lived in Ireland, and uh, God used his life in a tremendous way. He became engaged to a young lady while he was in Ireland, and they was planning their wedding. Literally, on the day before the wedding, his fiancée to Mary was riding a horse by a river. The horse threw her off. She hit her head on a rock, and she drowned. I'm talking the day before the wedding. He said he was devastated. So he moved to Canada, and once he got to Canada, he just started serving people. He would take a saw, and he would take a saw horse, and he would just walk around doing work for people, and the word was, you can't hire him because he won't take any money. He just wants to serve people. That's what Joseph Scriven was doing, and by the way, that's what we're all called to do is just to serve, just to serve. That's leadership is serving. But he met another lady. Her name was Eliza Rice. And they became engaged. And they were planning to get married. And two weeks before the wedding, she developed pneumonia. And she died. He threw himself into his work. He threw himself into the Lord's work. He started tutoring children and teaching children. And shortly after that, his mother became very sick. And Joseph Scriven wanted to encourage his mother. And he wrote her a poem that was never meant for anybody other than his mother. And this is the poem. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I don't know about you folks, but I like some of those songs that were written before they got royalties for writing them. Because they were many times written out of pain. They were many times written out of hurt. Deep theologies in those songs. But that one line jumped out at me. What a privilege. And I said, Lord, it is our greatest privilege. Now, last week, we have talked about the ascension. And we talked about how the ascension is relevant to you and to me. Jesus ascended to heaven. But before he ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise. And ladies and gentlemen, they went to Jerusalem. They waited for the promise. But verse 14 of the text says this. They continued with one accord in prayer. They didn't just wait, but they prayed. And I want to say to you today, our greatest privilege is being able to take everything to the Lord in prayer. And that's just what they did. Now, I want you to see four things primarily from the text. The first thing I want you to see is the place of prayer. Now, Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, the highest point in Israel. By the way, that's where he's coming back to. He ascended to heaven. And the disciples traveled two-thirds of a mile, a Sabbath day's journey, because they couldn't travel more than a mile, because according to the law, it constituted work if you did that. And the Bible says they came to the upper room. Now, it's believed that the upper room was actually the home of Mary, the sister of of Barnabas, the mother of John Mark. It's believed, according to Luke chapter 22, that in this room is where Jesus and the disciples had the Lord's Supper. It's believed here's where he took the basin and towel and washed their feet. It's believed that in this room, after the resurrection, <laughs> They're in the room, and Jesus walks through the wall. Amen? <laughs> I mean, rocks and tombs can't keep him out. Walls and rooms can't keep him in. Amen? He just walks through the wall. We know according to Acts 12 and 22, it was in this room that the early church met and prayed. Here's what I want you to see. 
If there had been a first church, ladies and gentlemen, it would have been right here. It would have been the upper room. The first Christian church would have been the upper room. And Jesus said, my house shall not be called a house of preaching. My house shall not be called a house of singing, of praise or worship. But my house shall be called a house of prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather teach one man how to pray than 10 men how to preach. Before, ten, before Pentecost, they prayed 10 days and preached 10 minutes and 3,000 were saved. We're preaching 10 days, praying 10 minutes, and nobody's getting saved. The power source for your life, the power source for my life is prayer. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Andrew Murray said this. He said, the man or woman who mobilizes Christians to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. I just want you to see, folks, the first church, the emphasis wasn't on worship, and I love worship, but we're in a culture that's almost worship in worship. We're almost worship in worship. The foundation wasn't on preaching. The foundation was on prayer. And the place of prayer, the power source for your life, the power source for my life is through prayer. I see the place of prayer, but I see something else. I see the period of prayer. This is what he said. He said, don't you do anything till you be endued with power from on high. Don't you go out and try to preach. Don't you go out and try to witness. Don't you try to teach. Don't you try to usher. Don't you do anything because you can't do anything without my power. You can't do anything without my power touch without my anointing folks we need the holy spirit more than we need anything else the average church in america today will start at 12 o'clock sharp they'll end at 11 o'clock dull the only difference between the liturgical church they've got their order of service it's in the bulletin but many times the charismatic church, it's memorized and we know what's going to happen before we get there. 
I'm preaching better than you're responding. But let me tell you something. I've lived long enough to know we need something more than that. We need the Holy Spirit of God more than we need anything else. More than we need anything else. I'm not talking about a person. I'm not talking about a personality. I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about a production. We need a person. We need the Holy Spirit of God. Now here's Catcher. They had some decisions to make. See, there was this guy, Judas. He was one of the 12. You know the story. Betrayed the Lord and went out and hang himself. Let me tell you something. If you're in leadership, there'll always be a Judas close enough around you to kiss you. There'll always be a Judas close enough around you to kiss you. Just remember that. And they had to replace Judas. And you know what was interesting? You know, what, what did they do? Well, if you look at verse 24, they'd been praying 10 days. But if you look, when it came to making the decision between the two men, they prayed. Well, did you ever think about this? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he also wrote the book of Luke. So where did they get this concept when they didn't know what to do and they didn't know which decision to make? Where did they get this concept? Oh, I'll tell you where they got it. You go to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Before Jesus chose his disciples, ladies and gentlemen, he prayed all night. God help us that we just arbitrarily make a decision. When the precious Son of God literally prayed all night about what he was supposed to do. Now, here's what I want you to see. How long did they pray? They prayed till they got an answer. How long should we pray? We should pray till we get an answer. How long do I pray about this situation, Brother Benny? I've been praying a long time. You pray till you get an answer. How does God answer? Sometimes you get a direct answer. Sometimes you get a direct answer and God just says, go. I mean, just says, go. Think about it. The Scripture says in Isaiah 65 and 24, and it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they're speaking, I'll hear. Sometimes it just happens immediately. Remember Peter? <laughs> Peter, the guy that walked on the water. Now, we give Peter a hard time. I always admired Peter. He got out of the boat. I'd rather try something great for God and fail is to try nothing and succeed. I'd rather try something great for God and fail is to try nothing and succeed. He got out of the boat. And I've always, I've always admired Peter. I mean, uh, uh, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. I mean, he got out of the boat. And he said, Lord, save me. And God responded like that. Sometimes you get a direct answer. Sometimes you get a denied answer. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you pray, ladies and gentlemen, and God just says no. Ruth Graham said, <laughs> Ruth Graham said this. She said, uh, I'm glad that sometimes God says no. Because she said, if he always said yes, I would have married the wrong man three times. This is what I know, folks. If God says no, it's only because he's got a better yes. Mary and Martha said, get here, Jesus. Our brother's going to die. He's sick. Get here. Get here. He's sick. They said, oh, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, oh, sisters, 
you all wanted a healing and I wanted to do a resurrection. See, when God says no, he's got a better yes. You know, sometimes God gives us a delayed answer. Sometimes he says slow. You just need to wait. The timing's not right. You just need to wait. You know, the only difference between salad and trash is timing. I heard about a lady that they built a tavern by her house, and she was a godly lady, and she said, God, I pray you just burn that tavern down. I don't want anybody to be in it, but what goes on at that tavern? <laughs> I mean, it's a crystal pistol with a bunch of lounge lizards. I don't, I don't need that. But God let everybody be out of it and just burn it to the ground. She prayed 15 years, nothing happened. She finally said to her friend, said, will you pray with me? Can we covet together and pray about this? She said, yeah. Ten days later, she heard the fire engines. The fire trucks were coming. That jammy was burnt to the ground. She called her friend and said, that's amazing. I've been praying 15 years. You pray. Ten days. And it burnt and nobody's hurt. What, what's different? She said, well, I put matches to my prayers. I'm not telling you to put matches to your prayers. I'm just telling you to wait on God. See, sometimes, folks, he says, go. Sometimes he says, no. Sometimes he says, slow. Sometimes he says, grow. It's not the timing's not right. It's you're not right. It's not the timing's not right. It's you're, you're not right. That six-year-old boy, you're not going to give him a 30-30 and let him go deer hunting with you. Not at six. He's not mature enough. See what happens? People get saved. They give their lives to Christ. They become a baby. And they get a bib. And it's okay when they're a baby. But the problem, some of them have been in the way for years, and they still got a bib. When Savannah was a little baby, she'd say, mine, 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 because she was a baby. But some of you are still saying, mine. You're still a baby. Well, I don't like, ah, 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 ah. It's a good indication. It's a good indication of where you are. But see, God wants us to get that bib off. And he wants that bib to become a towel. And he wants us to take that towel and serve other people. See, I, I see the period of prayer, but there's a couple quick things I want you to see. I see the people of prayer. You know what was so interesting, folks? I, I read the scriptures there that they put on the screen. Verses 13 and 14, I saw the 11 apostles were there. I saw Mary's name was mentioned. 
I saw not only Mary's name was mentioned, but I truly believe in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, when it speaks of the women, it's speaking of Mary Magdalene, it's speaking of Susanna, it's speaking of Joanna, who took the resources and provided for Jesus. And then it mentions Jesus' four brothers. You know, Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. But you know what was interesting? They all prayed. They all prayed. We can't all sing. We can't all preach. We can't all greet. We can't all administrate. We can't all do anything. But we can't all pray. And nobody's going to pray for your people like you're going to pray for your people. See, it's the people of prayer. It's the people of prayer. I, I believe he was strategic in mentioning these women's names and mentioning the men's names because what he was saying to us, we're all meant to pray. Folks, we got enough of everything but prayer. We've got enough. Why? In a, in a few months, I'm going to Seoul, Korea. The largest churches in the world are in Seoul, Korea. Why? Because the average Christian worker in Seoul, Korea prays three hours a day. The average Christian worker in America prays eight to nine minutes a day. One other thing. I want you to understand, folks. Early this morning, I was running at the track, and I had the thought, whether I pray or not, the sun's coming up. I didn't pray, oh, God, let the sun come up. Could you imagine whether or not the sun comes up? It's dependent on whether or not Brother Benny prays. <laughs> no, no, no. Colossians tells us that he holds all things together. He holds all things together. It matters not if I prayed. By the way, the sun's coming up, and it's coming up in the morning. So it matters not. Let me tell you something. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot's family... Abraham prayed for them. God spared them. And the Scripture never says that God remembered Lot. It never says God remembered Lot's children. It says God remembered Abraham. And then Genesis 18 says, And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. What spared Lot and his family? Because Abraham stood in the gap. You have a responsibility, grandmother. Nobody's going to pray for your children. Nobody's going to pray for your grandchildren like you. When Hannah had a baby, she prayed. And the Bible said God remembered Hannah. God remembered her. Now I want to give you one other point, and I'm done. And that's the power of prayer. D.L. Moody said, God does nothing but prayer and everything with it. Now here's, here's what I want you to see, and I'm almost done. If you get finished before I do, just slip out. Look here. They prayed for 10 days. They prayed for 10 days, and according to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and when the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast, was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven. 
You know what America's church needs? We need a suddenly experience. A suddenly experience. And by the way, it may happen after 12 o'clock. A suddenly experience. Oh, not everything planned, not some production. I'm not talking about something that's crazy, folks. Most churches are, are to the, each end of the spectrum. They're either, a, they're either a cemetery or a mental asylum. But the Holy Spirit is not like that. They prayed. And the Holy Spirit came. You know, I've started running the correlations between these books. In Luke chapter 3, look what it says. And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. He prayed. Now look what the next verse says. And the Holy Ghost descended on. Oh, folks, we don't need to work something up. We just need to pray something down. No, 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 no. We don't need to work it up. We need to pray him down. They never, they never got over what went on in this room. Because in Acts chapter 12, they went back to this room. Now, 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 let me say this too quick before we get so caught up on a, a room. <laughs> the upper room wasn't mentioned after Pentecost. But they go back to this room. Peter's in prison. Peter's in, you know, you hear so much talk. The church has got to have influence. The church has got to have influence in government. We've got to have influence as if the hope of the nation lies in Washington. The church has got to have influence to be what it ought to be. It's got to be. Listen, the early church didn't have enough influence to keep Peter out of prison. But they had enough power to pray him out of prison. They had enough power to pray him out of prison. Peter was in chains. And they prayed. And he was miraculously delivered. And some of you have family members and friends and children that are in chains. They're in bondage. What's the hope? The hope is through prayer. The hope is through prayer. God can do more in a matter of seconds than we can do in 10,000 years if we just pray. Prayer's the secret, ladies and gentlemen. That's the power source. That's what we need in our preaching. That's what we need in our worship. It's the foundation. It's prayer. Nothing more. Nothing Nothing less. I was in the hospitals just about most of the day yesterday. And I came home and I told Barbara, I'm going to look over my message, but I actually fell asleep. Let me tell you a story and I'm done. My mother had a second cousin 
named Shirley Jessing. Her maiden name was Teeters, and I always called her Teeters. Shirley and her husband lived a very sinful life. Very sinful. You name it, they did it. I don't mean this in the wrong way. I'm not trying to elevate sin, but there's nothing that hasn't happened in my family. If you're thinking, hey, this guy up here preaching to us, he can't relate. No, I can relate. I'm the guy that didn't even know who his daddy was till he was 30. I can relate to anything as far as being from a... We put the funk in dysfunctional. Shirley lived a very sinful life, but Shirley got saved. And when Shirley got saved, she started praying for people. And she started praying for my mother. My mother's name's Melba Jean. And she started praying for my mother because she and my mother were partners in crime. The lives were similar. And she started praying for her. And at the lowest time in my mother's life, the lowest time in my mother's life, after Shirley had been praying for her, Mama planning to just life wasn't worth living. She went to Shirley's house, and Shirley said, Melba, I've been praying that you'd come. Melba, what you need is Jesus. Can I call our pastor, Gary Jackson, and let Brother Gary talk to you about what's happened to me? And they called Gary Jackson. And that very night, my mother prayed to receive the Lord. Mama came back home, probably a sixth or seventh grade education. She didn't know how to pray. But she would go in her bedroom at night and she'd say, Lord, don't let Benny go to hell. I want Benny to get saved. I want him to get saved. <laughs> and then one night, about midnight, I said, Mom, I'm tired of fighting this. I want to give my life to Christ. And I prayed, and Christ came into my life. I've never been the same. I thank God for salvation. I've often said God thought it, Jesus brought it, the blood bought it, the Bible taught it, the Holy Spirit wrought it, the devil caught it, the devil fought it, and I caught it. I'm glad I got saved. Amen. God called me to preach. I don't know why he did. It's not because I'm a good man. I'm not a good man. God called me to preach and made a lot of mistakes along the way. But the Lord led me 28 years ago to a place and at least thousands of thousands of people have came to know Christ. But I was sitting there in that chair about half asleep and my phone vibrated and it was Mama, and she said, Benny, uh, Mama said, Benny, Shirley just died. Cancer, she died. She's gone, Benny. 
She said, Benny, uh, she wants you to preach her funeral. I said, oh, I'll do it. Then I went in and told Barbara that Barbara loved Shirley just as much as I did. And I think Shirley would say to me, how did somebody like you get somebody that pretty? And I said, you know, Barbara, Shirley got saved and prayed for Mama. Mama prayed for me. Without her, they may have never been a Benny Tate. So let me tell you something, folks. Whatever success in your life you have in life, don't don't get haughty. It's not because of you. You're standing on somebody else's shoulders. And don't, as George W. says, don't misunderestimate. I create words like George W. Here's what I want you to see. Don't underestimate the importance of your prayers. It's our greatest privilege. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers and what a difference it makes in somebody's life. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said, it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then C, you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin, and I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now, because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make, and thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.